in all of my crazy military and life experiences. Shit, you want to read this? Or would you rather I read it? Please read it. It's, you, it's really strangely cathartic to have, okay. uh, to have you okay. read it. Got it. In all of my crazy military and life experiences, these three civilians dropping in to rescue the rescuers is as profound as any that I've had. I was in the military 25 years. I possess a lifetime of combat and rescue experiences, none bearing the magnitude of bulldog bite. But in all of my deployments, no one has come to tattoo me afterward. In all of my deployments, nothing like that has ever remotely happened. So how can I even explain their appearance? Is it just me in my mind that gives it such weight? My imagination? It can't be. Is that God? Grace? Mercy? What is that? Whatever it is, I can tell you this. The magic of them coming into my life, then, haunts the fuck out of me. I cannot explain it. And of course, I'm driven to try to recreate that for others. I was responsible for the guys who were there. And I wanted to try to help foster and create moments that would have value for them. But beyond that, I don't know. I have no answers. Honestly, I was probably looking to validate my own experiences too, my own shallow life, my own weird experiences on that mountain with those men dying in my arms. And at some level, I too wanted to feel valued. Somewhere inside me, I was probably looking for a sign that the universe gave a fuck, or that what we did was even real, or that all that suffering mattered. I know for certain I was struggling with the fact that I had returned with nothing to show for that experience other than a sense of overwhelming grief, a mountain of survivor's guilt and isolation. Perhaps I understood that if Scott tattooed me, well, then that was real. And then I at least have a timestamp of the time and place. Welcome to Glorious Professionals, brought to you by GoRuck Media. I'm here with Roger Sparks, Oz Sparks, and Scott Campbell. And the, the excerpt that I just read was from Roger's book, Warrior's Creed. So, you know, these two met in Afghanistan, Roger and, and Scott, and want to kind of dig into some of what that experience was like from Scott's perspective, because I've chatted with Roger and he's like, man, I, I was just living it. But Scott was there with with a different mission. And then that became part of Rogers and Oz's and so many other lives. And, um, yeah. And then I want to talk a little bit about the, the therapy through tattooing. So Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Yeah. I, um, and I guess, you know, kind of the broad strokes of Roger and I meeting, but he, he's one of those people who just like has defined what it means to be a man in my world. So I'm like anything Roger's doing, like I'm like Roger could call me up and just be like, Hey, I want to do a car wash. I'd be like, cool, give me a rag. I'll wash cars next to you. Like, whatever you're doing. Like, I'll mow lawns. Like, I'll talk on podcasts. Whatever. Yeah. So that whole trip was crazy for me. And, it, and it's, you know, it's funny. A lot of times, like, with artwork and stuff, you, you know, you just start a drawing or you start a painting. And you don't really know why you did it until afterwards. You know, like, I never, I never, I never thought I could be an artist because I, you know, I'd walk into these you know, I'd walk into a museum or a gallery and they always have this explanation of like, here's why this painter painted this. And it was during this time. And this is what it means. And, and I was always like, well, shit, I can't be an artist. Cause I've never, I've never woken up with the, like this mission statement in my head and been like, Oh, I'm going to go make something. Cause this, you know, it's like, I realized later on that as an artist, like you make the thing. And then afterwards you learn why you made it, you know, and, and it's kind of this leap of faith. And, 
that trip is definitely similar to that in that I didn't know what I was doing or where I was going or why. So walk us through that. Walk us through why you were there and what you were hoping to get and how the stars just kind of aligned. What, what was it like showing up on that remote part of the base? Well, so I, I guess it was, what was that, 2010? Yeah. Right? I guess yeah. it's somewhere around that. Yeah. 2010, you know, so it's, it's kind of at a moment. I spent 20 some odd years doing tattoos and um, it was a moment when I was kind of frustrated with tattooing and, you know, there was this craft that I loved and I had grown up loving and done a long time, but it kind of got hijacked by reality TV and, and mall culture. And, and, you know, I was just, I was really kind of trying to find like soulful tattooing, you know, like I was like, I, I still love tattooing, but I need to get back to why I love it. And I, and I was, I had done a few projects tattooing in prisons uh, working on prisoners and and really got a lot out of that. I just wanted to do tattooing that mattered. You know, I wanted to do tattooing that had a real emotional value, not just an aesthetic value. So, yeah, me and a couple of buddies of mine got asked to do so, this like video project documenting me tattooing. And I was like, we did prisons. I was like, let's go to the front lines of a war and like, let's just tattoo soldiers. And, you know, because I was interested in like, it, you know, somebody who's who's kind of out there, you know, in the thick of it, what's emotionally valuable to them? You know, like what's going on in their lives that they're like, yeah, this is what I want to document. This is what I want to have carved into my arm today. So that literally just that idea got us to like swindle Huffington Post into giving us some press passes. And we got on a flight and landed at Bagram and was there for a couple of days just not really knowing what we were doing, you know, like the, and the air force didn't know what to do with this either. Like they had like this press officer that was like our handler. And they're like, I don't know. There's a couple baggage handlers with tattoos, go talk to them, you know, or, or just like, so we would just like hang out in the gym on the base. And, and, um, for those that don't know out there, Bagram is like a, a city. I haven't been, but I've been to comparable, yeah. comparable place. I mean, it's, you got dry cleaning, you've got, you know, yeah, it felt like a college campus to me. I mean, yeah, it, it, it really is like a little city in the middle of the desert. But we, yeah, so we were wandering around and uh, didn't really know what we were doing. And I remember driving, we were, we were riding by the the main road. Was it Disney Road? Yeah, Disney. Disney's the name of the main road. Yeah. And we saw these two guys walking down the street. And I asked our, like, our babysitter, I was like, who are those guys? Because they just, like, the posture was different. They're, you know, like, and they're like, oh, those are like PJs. And I was like, what's a PJ? I don't even know what that means. And uh, he's like, oh, we'll go, we'll go, you know, by their barracks later. And so anyway, so he, they took us by their barracks. And um, I remember walking up and there was like some like ABC news, like things set up or something or other. There was like a bunch of lights and somebody interviewing some of them. And I had just heard like, five seconds, you know, somebody who like shed a little bit of light on what, what they had just gone through, you know, cause like they literally just landed from bulldog bite. And I mean, literally like still had blood and guts all over their pants and stuff. And I, you know, here I am with this like press officer, like, it is like, Oh, like, you know, this is like Roger, like this is Scott Campbell. He's a tattoo artist from Brooklyn. And I literally, in that moment, I was like, so I was embarrassed to be there. I was, I was like, I, I remember looking at, up at Raj, because for those of you listening, Raj is nine feet tall, but there, it was, I remember looking <laughs> up at Raj 
And, um, and just like, I have just being like, I don't deserve to like breathe the same air as this guy. You know what I mean? Like I'm just some like artsy fartsy kid from Brooklyn, but I could just see in Roger's face, the gravity of where his head was at and what he was going through. And I was like, I'm sorry for even like standing in front of you right now. And, um, I was like, I'm a tattoo artist. It's the one trick I got. All I know how to do is do tattoos. But if, if that's in any way useful to you, uh, my hands are at your service. And I remember Raj like looked at our, our babysitter and looked at me. He's like, you do tattoos. And I was like, yeah. He's like, yeah. Yeah. I think we do need that. And he, he's like, go, go to their barracks and pack up their stuff. Like this, this kid's staying with, with, with me. And I was like, all right. So literally like our babysitter went and packed up all our gear. And we, I walked into that like building and like, didn't walk out for like four days. We just like, like what were you feeling? Cause you know, the way that Roger describes it is, is there was a lot of humanity and you're like, fuck, this is wrong. Like we're, we're out. <laughs> right. Well, I, yeah, I, I I just didn't want to be in the way, you know what I mean? Like here I am like exploring like whatever my artistic curiosity and these guys are like living like an immediate like life or death reality and just like the stakes of I, it just seemed very like trite and trivial for me to be like, you know, yeah. And and but but in in that embarrassment and in that, you know, me feeling out of place the moment that Roger said, yeah, like you can be useful to us. I was so grateful. I was like, okay, cool. Like, let me just tell me how I can help. Like, let me know, let me know what I can do. And yeah. And then I went in there and heard from Roger and all the other guys about like what they had just been through. And I was, I was so grateful for like, yeah, just to be able to have something to offer them. So Roger, what was going on? I mean, were you guys still hot washing missions or was this, I mean, cause you, you, he basically has the all access pass, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there was, there was just so much stuff that was unprocessed, you know, I guess just to try to gain perspective of it. I mean, I'd been in the military, you know, over 20 years at the time. And I, I felt like I'd seen the most surreal aspects of life and death that the military could really throw at you. And, uh, out of, out of those two decades plus whenever Scott and I met in Afghanistan, the majority of that was in special operations. And, and, uh, I'd, I'd seen combat. I'd, I'd had friends killed. I had, uh, taken life. I'd been, I had, I had, uh, a fair amount of, of experience up to this point, but that week really unhinged me. Uh, Bulldog Bite was an operation in Northeastern Afghanistan. And as pararescuemen, you know, it's, it's a really, surreal world because you're always kind of flying into like the worst moment of people's lives. And you kind of do that as a profession. And yeah, we do parachute into a lot of situations, you know, via, you know, real high speed techniques with fancy parachutes and different aircraft and, and, you know, extremely uh, dedicated and, and the most highly trained pilots and air crews in, in the world, you know, to get us to those locations. So it's kind of like you're the tip of the spear as a guardian angel to protect and recover Americans and their assets, you know, abroad. And that's a pretty broad stroke. I mean, it's a very surreal world to live in to where you're drinking a Mr. Pib, watching friends, you know, in, in a deployed location. And then you just get a call, Hey, uh, you're going to go fly out to go to a minefield to pick up a bunch of men that are dying right now. 
And to normalize that, uh, that, that's the status quo. So you're kind of like in that paradigm as a normalcy. And what the things that took place during the eight-day period of Operation Bulldog Bite, which was in November 10, I think it was like it started, you know, the, the first few weeks of November there. That was, it was so overwhelmingly surreal. You know, uh, we would fly in on helicopters and everything was a hoist. It was above 7,000 feet. And so that affected the way the helicopters performed. Our job as pararescuemen would be to hoist into those situations and salvage life, protect life, and attempt to get them to surgical teams or just recover the deceased. But uh, every time we flew in, it was just apocalypse now. I mean, it was just so surreal that everyone involved, uh, like their resolve and their intentions, you could tell were not put to the test, but they were transcended. And so, for instance, you know, you would fly in uh, to a situation and where we would take off to go and pick up the men that were in the midst of these firefights is about just a 10 or 15 minute flight. It's not really that far. It's extremely mountainous. And we would be pre-staged at these FOBs, which are forward operating bases, uh, to go and execute these missions. And so they're just like basically 20 miles away from us and our radios are really advanced. And so I can hear them talking to each other on the ground. And you would hear men actually uh, in horror, you know, just absolutely beside themselves in horror, attempting to direct or plea for help. And we would take off and we'd fly directly to them. It would take about 10 or 15 minutes to get to them. But we'd go into a hover. Again, like I said, we couldn't land. It was really mountainous. And uh, we would be hoisted on these cables to attempt to salvage the situation. And this is the most dire of circumstances. I mean, as you would go into the hover, the helicopter would slow down enough to you could start taking fire through the aircraft and uh, rounds would, you know, rounds would come up through the bottom of the aircraft or you'd see tracers go through the cabin of the aircraft between you and your friends. And we just took all the doors off the helicopters. I mean, it, it was cold at night and it was below freezing, but you know, speed is safety in those situations. So literally the pilots took their doors off to increase their situational awareness. And we took the, the back doors, we just kept them completely open. And so there would just be rounds coming through those spaces and you would realize the surrealness of the situation. And uh, we would be hoisting into situations where there would be men missing arms, dragging their dead buddy to you. And uh, that, that's, a, that's a pretty severe picture that I'm painting. Uh, and that took place over an eight day period. Uh, the, the most intense fighting took place on uh, November 14th, and it was just by the luck of the draw. You know, there was uh, myself and uh, I had a helicopter that I was in charge of, and I was in charge of the men in another helicopter. And so we're flying in with this, with two Pavehawks. Wait, is this, had you met Scott by then or no? No, no. So I, 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 Scott and I had not met, our universes are still very, very separated. He was going through, you know, his paradigm of, you know, getting to Bagram at the time and, and, uh, you know, his world, our, our worlds hadn't collided at all. So, you know, back to Bulldog Bite, you know, we were flying in doing these things. And then on November 14th, it was just so intense. Basically, we hoisted into a situation where we were overrun by the enemy. Uh, we ran out of ammunition and we called in Apache gunships to attempt to martyr us and uh, take some enemy out at the same time. And uh, we also called in an F-18 with a 2,000-pound bomb. And again, you know, we did not think that we were going to survive all of this because the round, those, those, those munitions were hitting danger close. And again, we ran out of ammunition and, and um, it went to hand-to-hand -hand fighting. You know, through the midst of it, uh, it was a long night. Uh, 
that, that night, four men died in my arms. I was able to salvage, you know, four to five of those men that were critically injured. Uh, but it, it, it was very, uh, over the top and, uh, you know, I'm really haunted by those experiences, but that is what we're coming from. And when we came back, uh, we had an additional three or four days after that before we came back to Bagram. And each of those missions were really heavy. I mean, on that mission that I was just discussing there, uh, after we got all the wounded out, we had to pull out the five heroes. And hero is just a term that we use uh, for the deceased, uh, you know, the men that die in combat. And uh, those men died horribly in my arms, you know, with mutilating trauma. And uh, it was so surreal that when we got them in the helo, and so we had to hoist those guys out, you know, we had to throw them in litters and get them out of there. And we were taking fire the whole time, you know, those helos come back in and we hoisted those guys out of there, but I had to sit on the deceased, you know, to fly back to a conics box to throw their bodies in. And when we got back to uh, the main base, I mean, the whole floor of the aircraft was just slick with feces, piss and shit, you know. Um, it, it was a really surreal experience. But uh, I mean, within two hours, we flew right back out to the same like, location to deal uh, with very much so those same situations. And uh, it lasted for about two or three more days of just every two or three hours flying up out to get men that were dying, uh, men that were completely beyond themselves and and their intentions of uh, serving in the military and, and, and projecting violence overseas. And, and uh, I was really beside myself as well. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, we all have these intentions of why we do what we do, how we get into what we're doing. And that week really did make me exceed the metaphysical aspect of why I was doing what I was doing. And at the time I had two sons, uh, one was a teenager and one, my son, Oz, uh, who the Goruk tribe is starting to uh, begin to uh, know and respect very well. Um, Oz has cerebral palsy, he's nonverbal. When he was four months old, I did CPR on him for about 30 minutes. And so he's got an anoxic brain injury. And so I did, and you know, I love my wife, you know, we've been married uh, over, you know, 26 years now. And uh, that was my family at the time. And my job was to do these things that I'm, I'm telling you about. And it definitely made me go past my intentions. Like, it, you know, there's a term in, in uh, Eastern uh, religion that, that's like talking about enlightenment. And it's like enlightenment is impossible when the nut is green. Like if, there, if you're a nut, if you want to, uh, uh, you know, use a metaphor to your spirit or your soul as being a nut, like your awareness of life and mortality when we're young, you know, we're bulletproof and that nut is like this green nut. As you age and you, you experience things in life, that nut dries out, but the lightest tap of a dry nut opens up. And uh, my nut was pretty dry by that point. And I felt like bulldog bite was a sledgehammer. I mean, it really fractured my psyche and who I was and my beliefs. And it made me question many things. So we were coming back from this event that, that I've been describing and we landed at our base and uh, combat search and rescue is definitely a, uh, a media delight. And when people want to do feel good pieces on the military, it's just, it just makes sense to interview combat search and rescue and the pararescue men. And, and, but I mean, Scott could have stumbled across any of the tier one units or special forces or any, anything along those lines and wouldn't have walked into the situation that he found himself in would have found similar type men though. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a bit of the, uh, 
you know, if you want to call it grace within a Christian ideology, I mean, who knows why things happen the way they do. There's definitely things that are inexplicable, you know, and I think that this definitely in my eyes rolls into that. And that's why it just, you know, Scott's, you know, slightly younger than me. And, and Scott is, um, he said that, you know, he deeply respects me as a man, but, uh, I tell you, I mean, the roles that we play in each other's lives are really strange, you know, and, and me knowing Scott, it's, it's overwhelming, you know, and I hold him in such high regards. He's kind of like this shaman priest for, for me understanding things. And, and a lot of that is just circumstantial because the genius of what they were doing, they wanted to understand the reality and the power of, of tattooing, you know, and, and it seems very naive to go to combat, to understand the gravity of that. And I say naive because the reality of that, of men projecting violence to solve problems, the aftermath of that is grief. And I think that men that, that do that, men and women, you know, human beings that, that are involved in those duties, you know, the price of that is to, is you inherit grief and you get, you inherit survivor's guilt and grief. Um, it's, it's something that takes a long time to process if you ever do. But I, I can tell you this, you know, Scott showing up with Casey and another gentleman we haven't talked about, uh, David Kuhn, without those guys showing up, I would not be the person I am. I don't think that I would have found a way to find catharsis, you know, to find catharsis through my experiences. And so, you know, our subconscious is really a strange thing, but, but, uh, meeting Scott and Casey and David with their project, with them being there and tattooing me, it was the most healing thing that I could have experienced. So Scott, what, what was your perspective from now you're, you're inside the team room and what's the sights, what's the sounds, what's the smells? Um, I mean, it, it's, yeah, it was, it was a lot. I mean, it's really like, I, 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 I can't stress enough how different, my week was leading up to that handshake that <laughs> Rogers was, you know, it's like, I, it was interesting. Cause it's like, I, I mean, this is maybe being like more honest than I should be, but it went back and forth from being like my childhood. I grew up in rural Louisiana, like in the middle of nowhere, you know, around dirt bikes and guns and fishing. And, and there's part of me that like, I mean, walking into that, room it, it was like every childhood like gi joe fantasy i ever had i mean the toys <laughs> they have in that room are unreal it's just like everything they've just got like they've got skill saws that cut through tank armor they've got like 50 caliber like you know barrett like rifle like just any toy that testosterone has ever craved <laughs> they have in that room and, uh, you know, so there was, there was part of me that was just like, wow, you know, just like fascinated by this, this whole world. But then like, you could feel, you know, like the gravity of what these guys went through, but it was also like their, their kind of candor and, you know, the way they talked about what they went through, you know, it's like, I remember Jimmy, you know, one of the guys, he had a, like a bandaid on his head and, um, I was like, oh, you okay? He's like, oh, I just popped a pimple this morning or whatever. And then, you know, there goes like, no, they just pulled bullet fragments out of his head, you know, like 20 minutes, you know, like he just got back an hour ago, you know, and I was just like, it, it was such a crazy juxtaposition of, you know, this huge weighty trauma and like traumatizing experience that they had all gone through. But yet the, the playfulness and lightheartedness that, that was in the way they talked about everything 
What'd you sense in the psyche? It's not, it's not typically a place. I mean, correct me when I'm wrong, Raj, but it's not like you sit around and say, man, I'm grieving right now. Right. Cause no, no, of course. No, it's too fresh. Like, like everyone's still vibrating, you know, from it, you know, so it's not, there was no like moment of reflection, you know? And I think tattooing is my world. And I've, I've tattooed a lot of people at a lot of, you know, kind of transitional times in their lives. And, and I think, you know, people get tattooed when they go through heartbreak or, you know, whenever big life shit is happening that is out of your control, getting tattooed can be really useful in, in, in a couple of ways. Like it, it can be like, like these guys went through something that changed them forever, you know, and there's something to be said for like getting tattooed where you're like, I am a different person and I feel like I need to look like a different person. You know what I mean? Like I physically need to not be the person I was last week because inside I am not that person anymore. And so it was really, you know, I was grateful to be able to have a way to like help acknowledge, you know, just that they are not the same person that they were a week ago, you know, also in that light, like, in, you know, going through shit like that, it's, you feel out of control. You know what I mean? It's like, you're, you feel like you're just riding this like torrential, just like giant wave of circumstances. And you're just trying to like come up for air and getting tattooed in that moment is a way to kind of take a little bit of control back. You know, you just be like, okay, well, like all this shit's happening to me that I can't control, but like, I'm going to make a decision that's going to fucking change my arm for the rest of my life. And it's like a tiny thing, but it can be really symbolic where you're like, you're, you are deciding who you are. Your circumstances are deciding who you are, but like you actually have a bit of control over who you are from this moment forward. And I think, you know, that kind of stuff is, is really helpful to people going through stuff like that. Um, so how did you, how'd you get going? You mean with these guys? Yeah. I mean, so how do you kind of integrate then, right? You, you can sense the gravity. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just like, I'm just like a vending machine. I was like, I am, you tell me <laughs> what I can do and I will, you want a fucking lion on your ribs? I'll give you the best damn lion these hands can make. You know, I, I was really like so humbled. So what was the first one that you did? Um, that was my, my chest. Yeah. 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 I did some birds on Raj's chest for his kids. And, um, and that was a lot of the guys was that, you know, it was stuff for their kids and their wives. It was, and this is like my observation, you know what I mean? Like I'll, I, I certainly don't want to put words in any of those guys mouths as to like what it meant to them. But like, to me, it was like all the, most of the tattoos either connected them with home, you know, connected them with their life outside of that experience or connected them to the people they were in that experience with, you know, it was camaraderie amongst their unit, or it was just like something to remind them there was life outside of that place and, and those experiences. So that's like Roger's two boys and the, the grid coordinates that I'm sitting here, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Touching right this second, you know, because it's, it's just, yeah. You know, it's, it, I, I know exactly what you're saying. I mean, you, you did this on Roger's arm. It's right here. And like, I got yeah. goosebumps and I got tears in my eyes mm-hmm. because here we are talking about that. And, yeah. and, and I can try to understand the gravity of that situation, but this is right here, you know, on this man's arm. And that, that kind of bonds you two as well in, in that well, moment. It's, it's like it bonds us all. Like I just had hooed his wife. God, like I just, yeah, I just had to his wife, Emily, with a, uh, a very dear phrase that uh, her father used to say to her. 
And I tell you where we're at right now, GoRuck headquarters, we're in the champagne room right now, but uh, I tattooed her like, you know, just less than 10 feet away. And uh, I tell you, it, it's crazy full circle. And I don't want to get ahead of the interview or anything, but uh, this place reminds me of the team room in Bagram, you know, and, and it, it's, it's, uh, I, I, I did, I'm going to do another tattoo here whenever we get done with this interview. But uh, the first tattoo I did this morning I had to stop. I was like crying, thinking about it, you know, and, and, uh, uh, I mean, it's been an emotional weekend, you know, I mean, my son Oz is here with me. He did a, a grueling, an event, you know, in one of the go ruck tufts, which I led, you know, it's just surreal, man. But, you know, it's, it's just strange how those tattoos seem somewhat tongue in cheek, but they're so powerful in their ceremony, the execution of it, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, with, with M, like her, her dad passed away in her arms too. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, it's just, uh, yeah. Sharing humanity with other human beings, you know, in this strangely ceremonious way is, uh, you cannot underestimate the power of that. You know, Jason, uh, really wanted to do this interview. And I mean, to be very honest, Scott, you know, I, uh, I hold you to an extremely, extremely high regard and you don't ever have to hold yourself to any high standard by that means, you know, I say never feel any pressure like that because I'm just extremely grateful that, you entered my life and you entered the men's lives that I was in charge of there because it was the greatest gift that God or the universe could have ever given me. It gave me a way forward. It gave me a new identity beyond those experiences. And it, it's almost as if you and your abilities and talent and the things that you've generated in your life, my friendship with you feels as if the grief and the experiences that I have had throughout my life are validated. Like it's all worthwhile if I can call Scott up and he wants to do a car wash with me. <laughs> you know? no, I, I mean, I, I appreciate that. I, I think, I mean, that all that magic is in you and, and was there before I'm, you know what I mean? Like I, I think in that moment, you know, you guys, had gone through like such enormous life stuff. Like uh, I'm just glad I didn't show up as, as like an insurance broker or something. Cause then you'd be like, Oh man, I gotta be an insurance broker now. Like, <laughs> no offense to insurance brokers that are listening, but so, um, so you're there for four days, right? Yeah. I mean, in, 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 you know, just listening to Raj describe it a little bit, just basically round the clock. What was your evolution? I mean, did you become anything more than a slot machine or, you know, was this? No, it was, I mean, I would, I, yeah, I mean, I was a different person afterwards for sure. Like I, I remember looking out the plane when we were landing on the base and um, literally looking out the window and just being like, I've never been on a military base before. It all of a sudden struck me how naive I was to military culture. I mean, I had, an uncle I grew up with who was a Navy SEAL and he was kind of like my only, he didn't talk about it. You know, he was a Navy SEAL in Vietnam and it was just something that wasn't spoken of in my family, but he was like, he was a man, you know what I mean? And like, he's the one that like took me camping and stuff as a kid. And like, really, you know, like a lot of the self-esteem that I, you know, that props me up today, like came from him. And so I had, you know, a respect for it, but I, I really, yeah, I went from not really knowing much about it to by the end of it i was i was like am i too old to enlist like can i like how how old is too old to like so like i'm good this is like i get it now i fully understand and um what what was so what i mean what did you get 
What, what was it that resonated with you? It was a lot. I mean, um, like, you know, like Raj was saying, like, you know, combat medics have occupied this really amazing space in the military where they, they're just taking somebody who might die and, and keeping them alive, you know? And so that's like, again, like Roger can speak to, but from my perspective, like there's no question as to the morality of what they're doing. And it is absolutely honorable. And that was really huge for me. I mean, you know, like I, I mean, I literally like since then, I mean, I just went to two years of night school to get my paramedic license in L, in LA County because Raj, you know what I mean? I was like, oh, like that's what it is to really like be a capable adult is to like know what the fuck to do in like crazy situations. And I was like, I want to know more, you know? And I'm like, yeah, I can draw skulls and roses, but like that doesn't mean that much, you know? And so it just, it just made the world a much bigger place and made life a much bigger thing kind of being exposed to, you know, so was there any moment where you were like, holy shit? I mean, you're kind of a fly on the wall. Yeah. You know, there's kind of a lot of stuff going on. I mean, what? No, I mean, I was definitely, it was holy shit. It was like, you know, being impressed by them and being so honored that I was invited. You know what I mean? Like it, it was validating to me in that, like the thing that I've invested, you know, my life in, which is drawing pictures that address whatever someone's going through emotionally. It made, you know, like, even though, I felt insignificant and kind of trite. The fact that I was useful to these guys and had something to offer them was very validating to how I'd spent, you know, my 30 some odd years at that point, you know, and, and it really, it validated my whole career and it's like, okay, cool. Like what I, cause like I said, I was coming from a place where, you know, this craft that I love just got kind of hijacked by reality TV and mall culture. So in that moment, the fact that these guys, the fuck, the toughest, like, most honorable like men I had ever met in my life. The fact that what I did was relevant to them, like validated everything. You know what I mean? Like that's what I got on that plane looking for was like somebody tell me that this fucking thing I do is not a waste of my time. That's what I got from that. Yeah. So how did they express that? Honestly, just through enthusiasm, you know, the, the idea that like I, I could do a like pinup portrait of Stumpke's wife on an, and, uh, you know, get to like joke around and, and seeing them bounce from, you know, the gravity of that situation to like lighthearted kind of joking around. And I don't know. It was really great. You know, I, I felt like by us being there, by us not going through what they went through, it brought the outside world into them, their barracks a little bit, you know, as perspective. It took a little bit of the weight off. And um I don't know. Like I said, I just wanted to draw the best fucking pictures I'd ever drawn in my life for these guys. I mean, are you drinking like a hundred rippets a day and <laughs> glass of Metallica yeah. or <laughs> what's going on here? Basically, yeah, there was <laughs> we, did, uh, we did educate them on the rippet. Yeah, yeah. Rip it's it's currency. It. Yeah. There's currency involved. The, the, a pallet full. That's what you want. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. They, they came in cases. It's funny. Yeah, I haven't seen one of those since then. I haven't heard of rippets. <laughs> I don't think you can buy them. <laughs> That's that's strictly <laughs> a, an overseas uh, commodity. Yeah, lots of rippets. Yeah. So, so what's the what's the perspective on you know just blood and, and guts and and like the smells? No, I just mean on th these uniforms that these guys are are coming back with and just how visceral it was. I mean, in, I mean, unless you're in a horrific kind of ER type of thing, which I don't think you you were. Like the first time around, mass 
mass casualties and trauma or, or that kind of a, an environment, right? Yeah. I, the blood and guts was just on everybody's clothing. You know what I mean? Like I didn't, but, but even still, you know, it's like, it's in the room. I remember there was, I think Matt was his name was, was really excited because he figured out he was like a new way to stitch body bags that were like easier to, you know, he's like, Oh, we can throw three guys in a bag and this one. And like, we only have to clip in on one thing, you know what I mean? Like, and just like, this, these are the, like the engineering dilemmas that they have in that, in that room. And, uh, but yeah, it, it was, um, you know, it's just, it's humbling. Like, like really, like it, it wasn't a roller coaster of emotions. It was just like, the most profound, like kind of humbling I've, I've ever felt. And just really all I wanted to do was contribute and support however I could. And yeah. And play with their toys. I just, that's all I wanted to do. I wanted to help them and play with the cool toys they had. So what was goodbye like? Oh man, we haven't, we're, it's, we've I've t- like, talked every day since then. No, no. And I mean, when you left the base. I know, but I'm, uh, <laughs> it, I might have physically departed, but there was no version of me like leaving those guys' lives. Like that was, you know, like I, I got on the plane, but it's, I still feel as a part of that community as I was went before I left. There still hasn't been a goodbye. So how did you, how did you kind of process that experience over, over time? I mean, I know get into a little bit with Roger through tattooing, but what was your process? Um, I mean, it was the same, like we would talk a bunch, you know, and, and Raj like mentioned wanting to tattoo the guys. And I, I literally, I was just like, yeah, like definitely. Yes. I remember like just going through my tattoo station as soon as I got back to Brooklyn and just like throwing all the supplies in a Pelican case and like FedExing it, you know, over there. I'm like, here, like anything you need, like just any tattoo supply you can think of any materials you need, like, yeah, for sure. You should be tattooing. And yeah, you know, it's like any experience like that where you, you know, like go work events. It's not like the reason why like people go off and, you know, run themselves till they're, they got bloody snot bubbles, as Raj would say, um, <laughs> is so that, you, so that you come back and all your other problems seem less significant. And it was, it was totally that where like I got off that plane and walked back into the life that I had had two weeks prior to that and all the shit I was worried about meant nothing. You know, like just like the perspective and, and appreciation you gain for just having four limbs and a meal in front of you is is profound. And like, yeah, like I was 10 feet tall and bulletproof because none of that shit mattered anymore. So kind of get, getting into kind of Roger's transition a little bit, because Roger and I talked a little bit about, he's like, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm still processing everything, but it's interesting to hear Scott's perspective because, you know, I'm going through this stuff and I got this dear friend of mine. And he's got his perspective. And, you know, wh- whether you deal with survivor's guilt or post-traumatic stress or any, any of those kinds of things, right? I mean, transitioning out of the military is hard enough, right? I and, can't imagine. Yeah. And, and, and so now you've got you, serendipity, God, grace, take your pick, you know. Roger now has this outlet through tattooing. What's been your perspective on his transition these last 10 or 11 years? Um like it, it feels so strange comparing like my journey with tattooing to Rogers. Cause he's coming at it from such like a beautiful, incredible like place. And, um, I got into tattooing just cause I, I can't do anything else. And I 
get hungry every night. I got to figure out a way to buy food. You know, I was like a little ADD kid. You know what I mean? Like, so I was one of those kids that like in seventh grade, they put me on a whole bunch of literate Ritalin because I couldn't focus on anything. And, you know, I took it for a month till I figured out I could sell it to my friends. And then, you know, like I haven't been on it. But I, you know, like I had a real hard time focusing on things until I got to tattooing. And you sit me in front of, you know, I worked in this like grimy biker tattoo shop that was selling meth out the back door. And, um, you know, I, I could draw, but I could never finish drawings because I just I switched channels too quickly and, and I would get frustrated and impatient. But here, you know, you put some like big sweaty dude in front of me and he, you know, pays me 200 bucks to put a dragon on his arm. I got to see that thing through, you know, like out of out of like, you know, hazard of my physical well-being. This guy's going to beat the shit out of me if I don't like give him a good looking dragon on his arm. And so there is like a sort of therapeutic intensity to tattooing for me. You know, where it's like sitting down and tattooing someone, you know, and going through that process of like having an intention, setting that needle in their skin, halfway through everything goes wrong. And I'm just like, this isn't coming out the way I want it to. What the fuck am I doing? And then, but you can't quit. You have to follow through. And by the end of it, I finish it. It's not what I meant it to be, but it's fucking great. And that guy thinks it's awesome. And I'm pretty happy with it. So going through that cycle, of like, you know, starting something, wanting to quit in the middle as bad as you, you know, with more than anything and, but seeing it through anyway and having it work out all right. Like that process, going through that process thousands of times, like finally imprinted on me and has helped me function as an adult, you know? And I think, you know, coming out of what, you know, that military career, you get super accustomed to that intensity, you know? And, and I think tattooing, although very different, has, like, you have to focus 100% on what is in front of, what what your hands are on. There's no, there's no, like, mind wandering. There's no, like, you have to focus on that. And I think just having something that commands your focus and panicking or giving up is not an option is really, really therapeutic and really helpful. Certainly a lot more than, you know, I mean, like, guys get out of the military and then going to Dunkin' Donuts and trying to figure out how to give a shit about somebody's latte. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just not, it's not real, you know? So I, I definitely see how tattooing could be really therapeutic because it's at least for a couple hours a day, you're locked into something and you're, you can't think about anything else. There's just no room for it. All right. Let me read something to you before I get Roger to, to talk about this. Uh, I want to hear your, your response. One afternoon, I asked Jennifer if she could please take the kids to go see a movie. I was struggling that day to keep it together. In those moments, I could have reached for my pistol to end the pain and anguish. Instead, I went downstairs and dug out a gift Jen had bought me a few months earlier, a shitty tattoo kit. I sat down and began tattooing my leg. I know none of that makes sense, but it definitely made sense at the time. I was so consumed with sorrow that tattooing myself made sense. Tattooing my own flesh felt like low-hanging fruit on the tree of suffering for me. Like that, that is hard for me sitting next to, to Roger right now to read and, and thinking where we find ourselves in life sometimes and, and what we have to do to kind of get, get out of those. I mean, you, you've, known this man, uh, you've known this man a long time. Like, what, what's your take when, when I read that to you? I mean, like I get, I mean, I, I, I say, I get it. I don't really get it. You know what I mean? Like I, as much as I, I know Raj and I, and I love Raj and, you know, like so much 
of who I am since meeting him is, is influenced by him. I, I can't possibly relate to where his head was, you know, coming back from all that. But I, I know from my own experiences with tattooing that it's like, yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, you need to hurt yourself to feel something, you know? And, and like, it, it's very like grounding and immediate. You're like, I'm just going to fucking carve this skull in my leg. Like it just as a way to like restart, you know what I mean? Like it just like the, the primal like act of like changing your physical body in that way and just like carving something into you. It really, it, it can be a really like a reset button, you know? And, um, especially, you know, because like, I mean, those guys, you know, they've had to numb themselves out of survival to so much horrible shit that carving something in your leg just to feel it and going through that act of feeling can kind of be a way to start learning how to feel again, you know? And maybe if you, if you allow yourself to feel something painful, then you can, you can allow yourself to feel something pleasant, you know, which, which from what I've heard is like the hardest, one of the hardest things is to like, for like those guys coming back to like, to accept kindness, you know, and to like feel warmth and to feel love when it's just like, they've had to numb themselves just in order to like open their eyes each morning, you know, like to the, the shit they've had to see. So I, I understand like what it means to kind of like, to have to start from a place of kind of hurting yourself in a way just to like begin feeling again. And Raj, what's your, what's your perspective? I mean, it's been a while since that, right? Well, I mean, I mean, there's definitely a lot of miles from feeling, you know, those things that I wrote down to, you know, where I am right now. I mean, I think the struggle's real with everybody on this planet. You know, I think that, I think the difficulty lies in allowing the experiences that we have to change us, you know, and I think that that's what real courage is, you know, and, and I've changed a lot, you know, since, since I first tattooed myself, you know, I mean, tattooing is just a really odd profession. There's great artists, there's great tattooers, there's great, you know, it, it's just one of those things that you can't ever perfect. You know, it's a very subjective thing, you know, and I think that uh, meeting Scott under the circumstances that I did, tattooing became somewhat kind of like the, uh, if you're not familiar with the movie, what is it? Uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, I think it's a Steven Spielberg movie from the 80s. I think the last time I saw this movie was at like a drive-in, uh, you know, in the 80s. So bear with me if I don't know all the details. But the gist of it is, is this guy has this encounter with this UFO and it imprints something subconsciously in his mind and he becomes obsessed with it. I think they're eating dinner at, at their house and there's mashed potatoes and like a meatloaf or some shit like that. And he just knocks all the shit. I mean, he's got like wife and kids, you know, wonderful family, you know, suburban uh, decor. And he just rips all that shit off the table and he dumps all the, the mashed potatoes right on the table and he starts building this mountain. And this, somehow this mountain was imprinted in his subconscious and he became completely obsessed with it. And if, you, if you've seen that, that was the kind of fever or fervor or, you know, uh, obsession that, that struck me. And I think that, you know, and I'd been around tattooing from my adolescence until up to the point that I met Scott. I mean, I had tattoos and things and I had a, a good, a dear friend, Oliver Peck 
from decades earlier that was, you don't know, I mean, if you're listening to this, Oliver Peck is the one of the uh, head dudes on that show that was uh, Ink Master, for better or worse, with tattooing, right? I mean, uh, but, uh, you know, he, he was in my life in, in quite a capacity before I met Scott. And I think that's one of the things that I asked Scott about when we first met. I was like, hey, do you know Oliver Pecker? And he's like, yeah, I know the Pecker. I've tattooed at Elm Street. And so, I mean, I'd been around those things, but it didn't have the, the power that it had. It was just this thing. But uh, meeting Scott when, when I did, and I mean, he, all artists have their own specific way. It's like that, uh, you know, my way is not the only way, but it's the only way you can get from me. And I think Scott's stank, you know, like Scott's way of expressing himself and his life experiences, it really resonates with me in a very voodoo shamanistic way. And I instantly became a student of what the power of that is. Like, what is the, the voodoo in attempting to articulate primal things with modern culture? And I think you do that, Jason, you know, with, uh, you know, some of the things you do with Rock. You know, it's like, even though we are in this modern culture, there, we are still primal human beings. But uh, meeting Scott, you know, it, it was like trying to tap into being able to articulate that gritty juju. And I was instantly turned on to it. It became a religion. But what's really interesting, you know, I mean, we're having this, you know, I mean, Scott, and, and uh, just to apologize to you, you know, you're roping you into this thing. You know, I was, I was really intimidated to have this conversation. I know that sounds extremely ridiculous, you know, but uh, I was really intimidated to have this conversation because those moments that we've been talking about and you as what you represent to me, I, I, I'm overwhelmed by it. And I, and I, I don't, it's like, I'm almost scared to talk about it because it's such an emotional or my emotions become very peripheral because it means so much to me. I mean, man, I mean the, the last, you know, 11 years, whatever it's been, I've definitely been a student, but I get, I was trying to make a point there. And one of the funny things is, is when I, and when I was struggling with tattooing and any tattooer, whoever they are, you struggle every day with it. it it's a, it's a very difficult trade you know, it's like welding flesh, you know, and every time you weld, the steel's different, it melts differently. It, it, uh, the, the thing that you're trying to articulate is different. It's like a psychotherapist welder. I mean, it's a very weird job, you know, I kind of lost my thread there. What was I saying? <laughs> I get lost. You were, in, you, it was a long love letter to Scott. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I definitely just don't want to gush over Scott. Oh no, no, this is what I was wanting to say. Thank you. Yeah. Um, he really didn't give me much instruction. I mean, he's an open book. I can text them anything and, and he's opened up other artists into my life that I can text them and ask them anything. And uh, they answer curtly. I mean, like, like, hey, this is what you do right here. But you have to be smart enough to ask the right questions, right? Uh, but uh, the instruction was extremely Zen Buddhist. You know, it, I basically gave me the keys to the candy shop and he's like, you know, just reduce variable. You know, and I remember you, he said it to me, that was really the only mentorship it was there, but it was really powerful because that's the same thing in marksmanship. That's the thing. If you want to improve upon anything, you reduce variables and you figure that shit out for yourself. Because if I tell you the way that, that, that I do it, it might not become your way. You need to develop your way. And it's such, again, again, it's such a difficult trade. There's no, there's no potential and future for it. It's like a helicopter that doesn't want to fly. You know, I mean, you can show up to a tattoo shop, you know, you get in with people, but it is a very difficult trade. Because it's, it's kind of like a self-discovery thing. You're meeting the clients and you're attempting to articulate their vision of what they want. And it was funny, I put on my business card, uh, you know, to hand out to people, you know, to create contacts to tattoo and whatnot, but it's making good ideas 
or I'm sorry, making a, a bad ideas done well, bad ideas done yeah. well. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, <laughs> the people that are coming to you aren't necessarily, you know, tattoo artists, you know, and there's a lot of complications that come with it, but it's problem solving all day. And it's very psychological. It's, it's very much a therapy session, you know, many times, whether people want to know it or not, even if they're doing just, you know, silly tattoos or whatever it is, it's, it's all catharsis of some capacity. What's really interesting for me is, is uh, when I'm tattooing people, the fact that they're in pain, you're dealing with needles and instrumentation and stuff like that. As a, as a pararescueman, many times in the back of the helicopter doing, uh, you know, chest tubes on guys, putting, you know, intraosseous IVs, like sticking IVs through people's sternum, you know, or their humeral heads and pushing blood products and having genuine concern for them. Uh, it's almost as if like the people that I tattoo become my patient. And, uh, I mean, that's way more than needs to happen. And, and, uh, but thankfully, you know, I've worked through that stuff. One of the, the things that Scott told me to do early on with tattooing is like, Hey, just go meet other tattooers and get tattooed a whole lot. And thankfully one of the people, I mean, I live in Eagle river, Alaska. Industry support in itself, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, I live in Eagle river, Alaska. It's not a booming metropolis. And just again, synchronistically enough, just as synchronistic as Scott tattooing me in Afghanistan after those, those moments of surreal combat, I walked into Deborah and Don Yarian's tattoo shop and they are established people within tattooing. And they're a very interesting family of tattooers. And so that's as pay dirt as I'm going to find as far as grounding me with making tattooing a profession. There are tattoo schools and stuff, but that's somewhat contrived. You know, there's so much more to figuring things out on your own you know, developing in the wild, uh, you know, your own techniques and things, you know, but in many ways I felt, you know, with Scott's assistance and all of the, the, the beautiful people that he's introduced me to, it was almost like Jimi Hendrix gave me his guitar and was like, Hey man, you know, you ever want to, you know, jam, man, let's jam. You know, do you think that it doesn't have to be black or white? Yes or no. But do you think tattooing saved your life? Yeah, I think it, it did. You know I mean? Because uh, and I, I, I know I say that somewhat haphazardly, but uh, expression is key to catharsis. You know, like, I mean, I think that expressing the things that are in our heart is one of the, the ways to heal ourselves. You know, if you just write a poem about loss, I mean, live long enough and you're going to experience grief, right? It was just, you know, I had chosen a profession that was the express train of grief, you know, and, and when you play those things out, I had so much unpacked, unprocessed, trauma and grief, I needed a creative outlet. You know, people say I'm not creative and it's like every human being is creative. You have the capacity to do that. You're just judging yourself too much. And when that hurt exceeds your care for the judgment, you become an artist, you know, and I just feel extremely thankful that, that Scott came into my life and even Casey, Casey Neistat, you know, I mean, we've kind of blown over him, but uh, you know, it took all three of those guys to show up there. We got to get that video out. Yeah. And, and, and it's funny, I've got that video. We're going to watch it tonight at Jason's house, uh, that, that rough cut video. And I need to lean into, oh, man, yeah. I'm going to lean into Casey to say like, Hey man, let's, can we do something with it, man? I know you're just surfing out there in Cali, but let's do something with this thing, man. You know? Yeah. Oh, I think it, but it's also, I mean, I, I think he struggled too. Cause like we, yeah, like we went out there to make this little video and then the magnitude of the, the experience itself God, just made the video seem so, you know what I mean? It's one of those things where like, you know, it's like you walk into a situation and you're like, okay, do the thing. And then you realize what's happening. happening and you're like, oh shit. Okay. I should not be filming this. You know what I mean? Like it, it's, I think it's the, the situation itself was so big and powerful that documenting it 
would have prevented us from from experiencing it and uh but yeah but yeah nudge casey who knows he's got he's, it'd be interesting to see something come out of all that or even just we'll do the where are they now like video hey so scott do you have any sort of i mean do you give any thoughts sort of why you came into roger's life vice versa i mean is this is, yeah. however spiritual or lack thereof you want to get i mean how far have you taken that it's pretty crazy you know what i mean like it, it's um I don't have like a spiritual explanation for it, but the fact that the moment like down to like the fact that Raj had, you know, like a 20 year military career prior to that moment. And, and then he had the most significant, you know, incident in those 25 years happen. And then I'd never fucking been to Afghanistan. You know what I mean? Like I never even occurred to me to go there. And that the one time in my life, I like would decide to like bullshit our way onto this base, which we had no business being on and pulled up to the PJ barracks and, you know, got out of that truck in the exact moment that Raj was walking, like from a helicopter to the barracks and happened to stop and shake it. You know what I mean? It's just like literally like, like those points, like crossing and happening to hit right there was like, you know, you're talking about a 60 second moment in a 25 year career that I just ha happened to land upon. And yeah, you can say like, oh, I would have run into someone else or whatever. But like, no, I don't think I would have like it, it, like it really. Yeah, I can't I can't ignore just the extreme coincidence of of us kind of like shaking hands in that moment. And, you know, like I, I, I'm certainly like appreciative and, and grateful that that moment had a positive impact on his life, but it I had, you know what I mean? Like absolutely like, you know, turned my world upside down as well and, and shifted my priorities. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I was just looking for a reason to keep doing what I do. And, and like, there was, there's no bigger reason than like, you know, those four days spent there. And yeah, like I said, like, and then coming back, I, <laughs> I felt so inadequate in my ability to like handle shit in emergency situations that I was like, all right, I need an education. You know what I mean? It's like, I want to be more, a more capable person. And, um, I'm super grateful that he made that a priority because I've been through, you know, I've been on some scary ambulance rides with both my kids now and felt like I was more capable in helping my kids because Raj made it a priority to be better at that, you know? And um, I just don't want this podcast to be too one-sided. I absolutely have grown uh, exponentially from, from that day. All right, Raj, as we sort of wrap this up, is there anything that number one we, we left out or is maybe more importantly, is there anything you've kind of, haven't asked before you're like you know yeah i uh you know i'm just kind of overwhelmed with it. it it's such a powerful moment of my life and scott represents such a, a key figure within that you know that uh you know i mean it just he was an affirmation that i i could not recreate that you know i, I mean i i needed that i needed who he re he was and is and, and represented to me at that that moment and it's it's kept me here on this earth. It's uh, it's affected everything about me. I mean, I think that uh, maybe in some ways I chose to understand the discipline of tattooing to understand him more, or to understand 
how much that helped us at that moment. I was just overwhelmed from those experiences and it grounded me. Those, those things grounded me and meeting Scott and spending time with him and realizing that those events affected him. He was like the innocent bystander, right? Like, I mean, you know, to realize that him meeting me or me meeting him brought me back to my humanity or brought him closer to his humanity is affirming to me, you know, that the, the magnitude of that is grounding because I was lost. I think while he was there tattooing us, I was looking on Wikipedia. I searched the internet on our, our computers that we had there in our, uh, you know, Scott, Scott's using the term barracks, but we basically had, we had, we had a place that, you know, we called the honeycomb hideout or the opium den. And it was, you know, you know, like a team room, not unlike, you know, where we're at, you know, right now in, in go ruck headquarters, but, uh, it was very much so patented after uh, the movie platoon when the guys are down there smoking grass and listening to uh, Motown, right. You know, down there in that scene, you know, and having Scott Casey and Dave show up when they did was like this, you know, just a completely blank slate showing up to be like, Hey, what do you guys think of this, man? Like what's going on here? You know, I, I was searching immediately for validation. I, I jumped on our computer and was looking at stuff on the internet and a Wikipedia page popped up and it said something like bulldog bite, no, you know, blah, 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 this many, you know, you know, coalition casualties, this, 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 the, the most severe fighting happened on the 14th. And that was validating to me. And, it, and for some reason, when I would get validated, I would start crying. And Scott represents that to me, you know, I mean, like that God, the universe, you know, just the, 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 the frequency of the universe allowed him to be there at that time to allow me this, this healing vector, you know, for him to show up and tattoo us. I think there's, there's a famous philosopher in the sixties name is Carl, Carl Jung. And he basically said that, you know, serendipity or synchronicity is created in our mind when we have unprocessed events. And I can try to find more meaning there is that's actually there, but that coincidence, whatever you want to call coincidence, synchronicity, whatever that is, it can be overwhelmingly powerful. And I think that if you're courageous and you allow events of your life to change you, that's, that's, that's present every moment of every day, but that nut has to dry up. You have to cultivate the energy or the, the metaphysic energy to allow awareness of that. But uh, like I said, Scott's sledgehammer to uh, my, is, is just like the sledgehammer of magic to me in my life. And, and, and I know I'm projecting way too much onto a, another human being, you know, I mean, I've got a lot on my plate, you know, I mean, I've, I try to say no to nothing if it allows growth. And I think that's our relationship here, you know, with GORUCK and tribe and, but I mean, look at this. I mean, it really affects so many things, you know, the courage to say yes and let things change you. Uh, my son Oz has been sitting here the whole time that we've been doing this interview and, and uh, Scott, is going to do a Go Ruck event with my son Oz. Oz right? is very happy. You know, Scott's <laughs> going to do this Go Ruck event with Oz in San Francisco. Man, they're going to do a mile star course up and over the nasty, nasty hills of of uh, downtown San Francisco. So, and we're very excited about that. I mean, Oz is turning eighteen in a year, and man, that dude's going to get tore up with tattoos. Man, I mean, <laughs> it's going to be intense, man. Uh, I mean, Oz has grown up in a tattoo shop, you know, I mean, this whole pandemic thing, we just took Oz out of school and uh, we shut down for a few months with tattooing, but uh, Oz goes every day to the tattoo shop. I think Oz has done something like 50 tattoos now. He, uh, 
He signs his name for twenty dollars cash only, yeah. and he's very proud of proud of those. He's actually pretty good. He's kind of got a heavy hand, man, but uh, it just adds to the allure of the. It heals the, up eventually. Fine. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm absolutely so thankful for Scott, man. I mean, I, I'm thankful for the relationships that knowing him has blossomed. You know, I mean, just you know, going to Save Tattoo, which, you know, Scott founded with a bunch of other extremely talented artists uh, that, uh, you know, is, is, is grown into so many different things and, and me meeting other people. It, it's what I needed in the exact time that I needed it. And uh, a lot of that is inexplicable, but uh, I'm not going to say no to it. And uh, I think Scott taught me to uh, accept that, that mercy, love, and grace. You know, he's one of the the agents in my life, one of the forces in my life, as well as my son Oz, as well as you, Jason, I mean, that, that has allowed me to say yes and accept that mercy, love, and grace, uh, you know, within my life and, and, and to find a meaningful life, you know? Yeah. So in, in closing, I'll, I'll kind of tell you what, cause there's another thing that made me cry a little bit right before he's about to tattoo Emily. This is, this is what it means to him. You know, she's, she's never had a tattoo, right. You know, wanted something for her father, naturally a little bit nervous, got, Darlin, which is what he used to call her on her, what would he call it? What's Ribs. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The middle of the side of her. I tried to talk her out of it, put it <laughs> on her arm, but. <laughs> and um, Roger looks at her and he goes, I just want you to know this is way more important to me than it is to you. <laughs> and, and he meant it, right? A thousand percent, yeah. And, and to feel and just see, I mean, I just saw the weight, all of it come off of her, right? You know, and such a gift to to be able to give like that. So anyway, Scott, it's been awesome chatting with you. Thank you so much for being gracious with your time. And, and, uh, most importantly, your time with Oz coming up here out, out in the great city of San Francisco. I and, uh, can't wait. I'm so good. But yeah, by the way, like this is my daily driver. This is like for years there now. There you go. <laughs> awesome. Is that a GR1? Yeah. Yeah. The classic. Well, I'm glad you're using it and abusing it. It doesn't look brand new, which is, which is awesome. No, no. It's got some miles on it. It's got some miles on it for sure. Yeah. I didn't just get it for this podcast. It's got <laughs> <love it. laughs> All right, man. Well, thank you so much for chatting. And, um, this is, this has been something interesting to yeah, say the yeah. least. I mean, sitting here next to him and chat, I just feel like, you know, when time kind of dissipates, and it's just this kind of triangulation thing between the tattoo on your arm and on your chest right there and Scott there and going over Afghanistan and, and where Oz was at that time. We were just chatting about that, you know, Oz is back at home and now it's on his chest and Oz is right here. And anyway, I feel very, I don't know, I don't know exactly words fail me a little bit, but this has been very special for me and I'm grateful for just, just to get to meet you like this and for chatting today. I, I appreciate it. No, thanks for, uh, yeah. I mean, I, like I said, podcast, car washes, whatever's Roger's doing, I'm doing it. <laughs> Go Ruck events in San Francisco. Go Ruck events. Yeah. I'll see you guys in August for sure.